0: Welcome to the Landmark Apostolic Church Podcast. We hope that this message inspires you and brings impact to your life. Enjoy the message.
1: Okay, I'm going to get right into the word today. Acts chapter 3, verse 1. Chapter 3, verse 1. Now, Peter and John went up together into the temple at the hour of prayer, being the ninth hour. And a certain man, lame from his mother's womb, was carried whom they laid daily. Everybody say daily. All right. Daily at the gate of the temple, which is called beautiful. That was his routine every day. They brought him and laid him at the gate of the temple, which is called beautiful, to ask alms of them that entered into the temple. So his purpose was not just to sit there and wave and say hello. Anybody remember the the waivers in Tamarot? Yeah, I know you do, Sister Life. Yeah, you're from that area, I, it didn't matter who it was. They they were out. They waved at everybody. They, I mean, they just waved at everybody. He wasn't just there to say hello as you were passing by the gate. He had a purpose. He was there to beg money. He was at the mercy of those that might have an extra coin upon them that they would feel gracious enough to toss something into his cup that he might be able to survive yet another day. So he asked alms of them that entered into the temple, who seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, an alm. And Peter, fastening his eyes upon him with John, said, Look on us. And he gave heed unto them, expecting to receive something of them. Then Peter said, Silver and gold have I none, but such as I have, give I thee in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Rise up and walk. And he took him by the right hand and lifted him up, and immediately the Bible says, his feet and ankle bones received strength. Verse 8 is a telltale of how this guy was feeling, because it describes what he did after his feet and his ankle bones received strength. Verse 8 says, He leaping up stood and walked and entered with them into the temple walking, and leaping, and praising God. I'd say that's pretty appropriate for what just happened to this man's life, wouldn't you? Not being able to go into the temple because he was lame. Now, the very first thing that he does after he is healed by the hand of God is go into the temple. And he didn't just walk in and and say, hey, uh, it's nice to be here. No, the Bible describes him as walking, and leaping, and praising God. Everybody knew he was
0: in the house. This unnamed beggar was experiencing a personal
1: revival, not just a revival of strength to his feet and his ankles, but there was also a spiritual revival that took place in him, something that caused him to be able to do something that he had not been ever able to do before. He goes from sitting at the gate to entering into the temple, walking, leaping, and praising. Man, I just want to preach to you for the next few moments, the residue of revival. The residue of revival. You may be seated today. This is probably, I'd have to admit, one of my all-time favorite miracles in the Bible. I think of the irony that takes place here. Here's a guy sitting, begging for a living, and all of a sudden, he gets these two guys to walk past him to stop. I think that's very important. You know, I've been told before, we've gone to places, uh, um, uh, my wife and I, for our 25th wedding anniversary, we went to some different countries, and there was a lot of um, begging that took place, and, and we were um, advised by the people that uh, were with us. Just don't look them in the eye. Don't stop. Just, just keep, keep on moving. Don't make eye contact with them. And yet, here you find Peter and John. They don't just stop, but they look. They fasten their eyes upon him, and they tell him, "Now, I want you to look at us as well. I want you to look at us because." we don't have anything to give you, then why should I look at you? What do you have to give? We don't have any money to give you, but such as we, just because somebody doesn't have money in their pocket doesn't mean that they might not have something that they can offer you that will bless your life. It might be a word of encouragement. It might be somebody that just has a smile on their face that can change you out, Come of your day. And here we have this beggar, two broke guys that walk up that can't even give him a dime. And the next thing he knows, he's got something in his possession that no amount of money could buy. It's a beautiful miracle. It's a great day. You know, I've come to the realization that the world is not all that impressed with what we can do for them naturally in the natural realm. Yeah, I know that there are times when we have bought food for people, and that's a good thing, and we've had food bags that uh, somebody could come and and get, and We've done a few things here and there that we could do for people that were in need. Those are all great things. but, But honestly, I don't believe the world is all that impressed with what we can do for them in the natural sense. But I believe that this world is looking for something that is supernatural. I believe it's looking for something that this world cannot offer them, that only the church that is empowered with the presence of the Holy Ghost can offer them. I'm probably misdirecting you already this morning because you're probably thinking I'm going to talk about this miracle, but I want to stop right here and just say this. This message isn't so much about the miracle that took place as it is about what happened after the miracle, hence the title, The Residue of Revival. I think it is very important for us to understand. We we are living right now in the residue of the Christmas season. There's a feeling that we're walking in right now. We're kind of weary. All the excitement is over. All the gifts have been opened. The kids' uh, excitement uh, for that moment is over, and and, and probably 85% of them are
0: already bored with what they've been given. They're looking for the next big thing, Maybe not
1: your kids, but I'm just talking about kids in general. You see, things and gifts don't last that long to keep us excited about them. We're always looking for the the latest and the greatest, the newest and the best. So this message today isn't so much about the miracle as what happened after the miracle. What's left behind after a great service What's left behind after God has given you a miracle or God has empowered you with something or God has just maybe filled you with the baptism of the Holy Ghost and you have experienced a personal revival in your life? That's awesome. That's great. That's life-changing. But what happens
0: when it's over and you're having to live in the residue of a great moment? Our text tells us of the miraculous. The story's not over yet. We stop here a
1: lot of times. <laughs> here he was, he, he was healed. Silver and gold, have I none? We quote it all the time, you know, such as I have. And I rise up and walk, and they reached down and lifted him up, and he went walking and leaping and praising God into the temple. He, ah. but what about the day after the Sabbath? What about the week after the miracle was over? What about when the guy no longer could sit and beg because everybody said, you don't have to anymore. We're not giving you any more handouts. It's time for you to go make the living. What about when the guy had to get up and actually go to work for a living?
0: What about the residue, the aftermath of the miracle, of the revival that he experienced? See, how you live after the miracle is over is very important. When you've got nothing left but the memory of something great, how
1: you walk in the residue of revival is critical to survival, spiritually speaking. We love to talk about the miracles. I I like miracles just as much as anybody I like faith-building miracles, but let's be honest. We've had more services where no miracles happened than what we've had when miracles did happen. You've lived more days on this earth without miracles than you've lived when a miracle took place. How you live for God when nothing is happening, when no miracles are taking place, when you don't feel the revival fires, and you've asked people to come to church, and they flat out told you, no, I don't want anything to do with you or your church. How are you going to live in the residue of your revival matters to your outcome. I believe that there are times we look at the miracles of God as his way of impressing us. Oh, watch this. I need to rattle their cage. I need to wake them up. I need to show them I'm still around. I need to show them what I can do. I believe that sometimes we look at the miracles, God's way of amazing us and
0: wowing us. God never did anything without purpose. the purpose behind everything that he does. When he performs a miraculous,
1: it's meant to do more than just amaze us for a moment. It's meant to impact us for a lifetime. And it will if we allow it to, if we treat it right. There must be a residue that leaves us touched and stirred and changed. For true revival is more than just having a big block party where you throw out a baptismal tank and a horse trough out on the on the corner and you have fifty strangers come up and you baptize. Nothing wrong with that. That's great. I'm not down in that. But real revival is what happens the next Sunday. We've all seen people that can gather a crowd, but then when they go away, so does the crowd the crowd follows them, or the crowd just goes away and dissipates altogether, what happens in the residue, many of them get lost because they don't get connected. They don't live in that residue properly. They don't take what God gave them and the revival that God blessed them
0: with, and they don't live in that residue of that revival, but they walk away from it. True revival leaves a residue. Residue
1: more than just a memory of something good. Real revival has an impact that is life-changing, not just today, but for all the tomorrows that come after today. Whether you ever receive another miracle again, whether God ever touches your body in the way that you ask him to, whether God ever revives you again, Amen. Whether you ever experience an overwhelming impact of the Holy Ghost in your life again, I'm here to tell somebody you need to stay living for God whether you feel Him and the revival spirits or whether you don't feel Him. You need to keep serving God when you're in the midst of a
0: burning revival or when you're in the midst of the mundane of everyday life. Residue simply
1: defines is defined this way, something that remains after a part is taken, separated, or designated, or after
0: the completion of a process. You know why Bacon is so awesome? Like, man, where did he? He just stepped right... I don't have ADD. I'm going some places with this. Oh, a squirrel! Now listen to me. Now, <clears throat> bacon is awesome.
1: Not just because you can put it between a couple pieces of bread with some lettuce and tomato, tomato, and a little little Miracle Whip on there or mayo, whichever you prefer. Is there anything better on a hot summer day than a BLT sandwich? I think not. Extra bacon, please.
0: My wife will sometimes fry up
1: all the bacon in the package because she knows that it will not go to waste. And we don't want to make the mess more than once, so she just fries the whole entire bacon up. And then she puts what we don't eat in that particular, which is rare that we don't eat at all. But sometimes we don't eat at all. She makes so much that we put it away in a little baggie inside of the fridge. And then I will come home and I like to take it out. She says she'll offer me all types of uh, different choices most of the time on my way home from work. Hey, you hungry? What, what, What do you want? This, this or this? If she offered me a bacon sandwich, no need to say anything else.
0: A little bacon with some mustard on it between a couple pieces of bread. Ah, so good. So oh good. Bacon with the eggs. You want to make a steak better? How do you make a steak better? Wrap it in bacon!
1: You want to take a, a healthy salad and turn it into a full meal, what do
0: they do? Cover it in Bacon! Two pieces of bacon got together and had bacon bits. Little baby pieces of bacon. We throw them all over everything. That is awesome that bacon tastes so
1: good. The taste is great. But there's another aspect of bacon that makes it, makes me love it even more. And that's the fact that my wife can cook up all the bacon seven thirty, eight 8 o'clock in the morning, and I can come in the house seven thirty, eight 8 o'clock at night, and it still smells like bacon. I think they ought to make air fresheners that smell like bacon. They would sell out in a heartbeat. Make the whole house smell like bacon. I can remember vividly going to my aunt and uncle's house when they pastored in Rolla. They pastored, and I can remember one thing about that. I can't remember what the house looked like. I can barely remember my aunt and uncle's names, but I remember this, that when I stepped into their house, every single time it smelled like bacon. Bacon is awesome because it leaves behind a residue, a scent. You can smell it long after it's already been baked or cooked or fried or however you want to do it and eaten. Long after the bacon itself is gone, you can walk into a place and still smell the lingering effects of what happened earlier in the day. Next time you fry up bacon, time it. Let me know how long your house smells like bacon after you fried it up. Unless maybe you got like an industrial, one of those things called the, the thing that suck the whatever, the fan to pull the, the unless you've got one of those, your house is going to smell like bacon for a while.
0: It's a beautiful thing. I love living in that residue.
1: I love walking, you know why? Because it makes me hungry for more bacon. It smells good. I want more. There ought to be something about serving God that even when he's not giving you a blessing that you demand that he give you or a miracle or there's not a personal revival taking place and you've just not laid for hours in the floor speaking in tongues as the Spirit gave you utterance, even when that doesn't happen, there should be a residue about us that we walk in that Spirit that we feel that power
0: that God's residue of revival still moves through his people. 1 John 2.24, let that therefore abide in you.
1: Abide in you which ye have heard from the beginning, if that which ye have heard from the beginning shall remain in you. Now maybe you're more spiritual than I, and you just walk around speaking in tongues all the time. God bless you, but for the other 99.99999% of humanity that doesn't live in that spiritual realm, sometimes we have to live in the afterglows, in in, in, in the residual effect of what took place. I know the Bible says pray without ceasing, but quite honestly, I've not figured out exactly how to do that yet. I'm not just a a walking spiritual marvel. Sometimes I have to walk, and it feels like I'm walking by myself, but I don't give up and say, God, you've abandoned me. No, I know that he is there because his word tells me that he is there, and that's why even when I don't feel his power, I know that his residue is all over me, and
0: I hope that people can sense that spirit all around me. heard it from the beginning, let it remain in you, ye also shall continue in the Son
1: and in the Father, and this is the promise that he hath promised us, even eternal
0: life. What are you talking about, John? Let what remain? We'll go back and read from the beginning, 1 John chapter
1: 1, verses 1 and 2, that which was from the beginning which we have heard, <coughs> which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon, and our hands have handled of the word of life, for the life was manifested, and we have seen it and bear witness and shown unto you that eternal life which was with the Father
0: and was manifested unto us. John was saying that living for God is more than just a
1: one-time experience. It's more than just coming down to an altar and feeling his presence. It's more than just speaking in tongues one time. but there is something that is ongoing or should be ongoing. Why do people walk away from God? because they do not treat his residue. They do not treat the afterglow of the spirit with uh, humility. No, they feel like all they can ever uh, uh, live for for God is if God is constantly giving them another miracle, constantly keeping them in a state of revival. But, honey, revival ain't always at your doorstep. There's times when you got
0: to step out there in faith knowing that God is with you, even though you don't feel like he is. Revival, real revival, is a continuation of life changing experiences.
1: Sometimes we have to fan that flame (coughs) ourselves.
0: God gives us the fire, but it's our responsibility to keep that fire going. There comes a point in time where you got to chop some wood, you got to gather some tinder.
1: Any of you campers out there, you like to go out and build a bonfire or go out and build a campfire or whatever. You know, nowadays a lot of times we just we just take our stoves and our campers along with us. We don't mess too much with that. But
0: eventually it it burns out, right? Why? Because it runs out of fuel. And so it is with the Spirit of
1: God in our life that we have to keep that fire fueled. We have to go and do the things to replenish what is burning out because you are a candle. You are a light to this world. There, uh, For there to be a light, there must be a source of fuel someplace that is emitting that light and causing that. You don't burn a candle, and, and that candle never burned down. Why? Because that candle with that wick in the middle begins to burn that, that wick uh, based upon that
0: wax that it is uh, encapsulated in. Eventually, when the wax runs out, the candle quits burning. We've got to figure out. We've got to figure out how to keep the Holy Ghost alive, how to
1: keep it fueled, how to keep it filled in our lives we got to feed it good things. We've got to feed our mind good things. We can't just go around and pour damp water and wet blankets all over the Spirit of God and expect Him to just create an even hotter fire in order to burn all those things away. No, we've got to decide in our life, what am I going to fuel my spirit with? Am I going to fuel it with good things that promote spiritual activities? Or am I going to throw things on it that dampen God's will for my life? talking about living in the residue.
0: It's not easy to do oftentimes when you're not feeling God's presence. And it's necessary. Holy Ghost, I remember the first time I ever received it, 10 years old.
1: <clears throat> the Holy Ghost is not like going out and buying a fancy painting and putting it up on the wall someplace. Oh, yeah just want to invite people over, see my Holy Ghost. No, the Holy Ghost is not meant to just be put on display for people to see. That's not what it's meant to do. No, 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 no. The Holy Ghost is to be active. <laughs> it's meant to be used. It's meant to be cultivated. It must be kept moving or it will lose its power. The Holy Ghost is a tool. You can buy a hammer, a saw, nails, you can buy all of those things, set them on your counter someplace, and nothing gets built because they weren't designed to be used. And the Holy Ghost is designed to be activated within us. And it's designed to be used, not just to be put on display
0: but to be put into motion. A lot of talk these days about carbon footprints.
1: You hear things on the news report. They want to ban all aerosol sprays. Lord have mercy for all of our Pentecostal hairdos if all the hairsprays go away.
0: Every, they're against everything from airplanes to, to aerosol canisters.
1: And the point behind it is, and, and I'm for recycling things and, you know, taking care of our planet. I don't want you to think, you know, uh, that that I don't care and I don't give a rip and I'm that guy that throws his empty McDonald's containers out the windows and leaves it, you know, in the road. I'm not that guy. I, you know, I put the trash where it belongs and recycle if you want to take care. Of, we need to take care of things to the best of our ability. I believe that just being responsible, a good steward of what God has given us, and he created this earth for us, so I believe that we ought to try to do our best just to not trash it for him. (coughs) Some of these things are good, and some get a little ridiculous. But the idea behind reducing carbon footprint, if you don't know what that means, is simply to live without leaving anything behind. No residue of your life. There are people out there that that are like these minimalist people, and they they do everything that's, where they just don't hardly, everything they have is organic and and whatever. That's fine. Most of us can't live like that. They want to live like that. I I got no, no, this is America. Live that way if you want to. They're trying to set a standard, I believe, but the fact of the matter is, is that no one can get through life without leaving some trace of their existence. So the real question then is an if, but what. What will your life leave behind when you move from this life to the next? Just attended the funeral of a, somebody I consider to be a great man. To be up in his 90s, Elder McKinnis was somebody that was important to me as a young minister. Even before I was a minister, just growing up in this area, he he had an influence on my life. Treated me wonderfully. Treated my he pastored my my grandpa and my grandma after they had were retired uh, pastors and they settled in. He went there, and I I think he had to be a saint to to pastor my grandpa. I mean, my grandma was easy, but my grandpa could be a little bit of a, of a tough one, you know, uh, occasionally. And and so Elder McKinnis took great care of them, always treated them with respect. And I just, I was in awe of his energy and and how he uh, he handled a lot of different things with me personally, and I know there's probably people out there that could say something that they disagreed with this or that, and, you know, he had a, a job to do, and, and he did it well, and I think that he always did it with the intention of trying to serve God to the best of his ability.
0: A great man, and so his body is now in a cemetery, but the influence that he left behind by the crowd in that funeral tells
1: me that there was a residue from a life that was lived well, that is still emanating and touching and affecting people's lives. I sat there and there was a couple of times where I felt tears begin to well up in my eyes because I started thinking back to memories of times where he had impacted me. I have a Bible at home uh, that I have very uh, few names in, but I've had the people that have impacted me in the ministry more than anybody else. I've found them, and I've had all of them but one sign that Bible. And the very first signature I have in that Bible, right at the top, left-hand top of the very first page that's empty, is C.L. McInnes.
0: I believe that we have an enemy that would like for this church to leave as small a
1: footprint behind. As possible, I believe that we have an enemy that would like to see this church destroyed, hampered, uh, put down. I believe that we have an enemy that would like to see us not have any effect. I th- think we have an enemy that would choose for this church not to leave behind any residue, but they've come too late because the power of God is already moving in this place. It's already growing. God is already moving us forward, and the impact
0: has already been established. But what will we do to promote that? Just go ahead and serve God. Just don't let it spread.
1: What happens after your initial experience is just as important as what happened to you when you first received, if not more.
0: You have to initially receive it,
1: but then you can receive it, put it. In your pocket, never to pull it out again, or you can walk in the
0: power of that spirit. Our music would come this morning. Jesus had just ascended.
1: That's a fancy way of saying he said goodbye to this earth
0: and he left his disciples and everybody else here behind. He just ascended.
1: The upper room experience had already taken place. Peter and John are walking now to the tabernacle in the residue of the revival that took place in the upper room and then spread. They're walking in that residue. Not too long before that, Jesus had been right there by their side. They were able to walk arm in arm with the king of the world, the savior of all humanity. But Jesus said, I must go away. I'm going away with a purpose. I'm going away to prepare a place, but wait a second. I will not leave you comfortless. Just because I'm going away in body doesn't mean that I'm not going to return in spirit. And he said, go and tarry ye in the city of Jerusalem until you be endued with power. That word endued means clothed, just like putting on a, a garment. Clothed in power. They had no idea what they were going to experience. They had no idea what he was really talking about. All they had been given was a mandate to go and wait in the city of Jerusalem, and so they do. On the day of Pentecost, they're in the upper room, and all of a sudden, while they're praying, they're all in one mind and one accord, the Bible says. There's one thing that I feel very confident in about this church. I believe we're in one mind and one accord. When you get in one mind and one accord, anything can happen. Just because God has shut one door doesn't mean he's not over here opening up another I'm excited about what's going to happen this year. I don't know what it is. All I know is God said go. God said go. He's given us a mandate. We don't have to know all the particulars. We just have to follow the instruction and wait upon the promises. I'd say we can do that. The very first service of 2022. I don't know what 2022 holds. I'm tired of standing up. I'm so glad that, you know, that we didn't do a a whole campaign of 2020 vision because we got blindsided in 2020. 2021 wasn't a whole lot better. So I'm not going to stand here and tell you that 2022 is going to be incredibly amazing. I don't know what's going to happen in the, this world. I don't know what's going to happen with the pandemic. I, I don't have answers for all that stuff. All I know is I'm going to follow the mandate that Jesus Christ has set forth for his church. Peter and John have experienced the Holy Ghost. That was over now. Not that they weren't still being filled with the Holy Ghost, but that initial first time, when that fire fell and that wind blew, they began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them the utterance, and people stood around from all different places, and they began to hear them praising God in unknown tongues. Incredible. Matter of fact, the church began to grow very rapidly. They were in the midst of revival, but now they were just heading to church, heading to the tabernacle, no revival service, just heading to the tabernacle to go through the routine of worshiping God. They're living in the residue of the day of Pentecost experience. Can I tell somebody tonight that there's enough power in the leftovers? to do everything that God needs to have accomplished in our lives. We don't have to be shaken under the power of the anointing. Just a a little residue is enough to change everything. Would you stand with me today? Now we got a crippled man that's walking. Peter could have walked away, but he chose to leave a footprint. Chose to leave something behind. He could have just gone on and ended it right there, but verse 12 he says, This wasn't done under our own power, this happened because of Jesus. Oh, no, I can't take you to him. He's already left us, but his spirit has come back. The Comforter has come. We are now walking in the residue of the Holy Spirit. We're now walking in the power of the Holy Ghost. And he said, this wasn't, don't look at me. Don't look at John. This wasn't us. This wasn't our power. This was the residue of the power of the one who left the Comforter to come and give us this strength and this power. You can read the rest on your own, but here's the short version. The miracle happened, the word was preached, and truth was spoken. They faced confrontation and even were thrown in jail overnight. Not everybody listened to the word. Not everybody responded. Not everybody received the truth of the word of God on that day. But the Bible tells us that howbeit many of them which heard the word did believe and the number of the men was about 5,000. I don't know how your books read, but my books would say that if we could get 5,000 overnight with one message and one miracle, that's a pretty good revival that's firing up again. That's about our entire city of people that could be affected. I'm trying to help us understand. The responsibility and the power and the authority in which we are walking in, it cannot be ignored. And in 2022, I don't care what direction the world goes. I only care about what direction the church goes. The Word of God is true, and it is yes, and it is amen. There is still power. There is still power. Maybe we haven't had the revival that we've seen in the past, but we're walking in the residue, and the residue has enough power to reach your lost friend to reach your lost spouse, to reach your lost grandchild, to reach your lost son or daughter, to reach your lost co-worker. The residue is enough, to so walk in the residue of the power of the Holy Ghost this year. If you think the revival can't happen unless there's a miracle taking place, you need to understand it's not meant to be that way. It's worth staying in the race. It's worth living for God. Even when you don't feel overwhelmed with his power. I want you to close your eyes right now if you wouldn't bow your heads. Maybe it's been a while since you felt his power.